Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. If you break up with someone, never, ever go see that person alone. Everybody, I'm Vanya. I'm the Rom. And I'm Avrin, and I'm the Crime, and this is Rom Crime. We pair a rom-com with a true crime. No, we find we okay, here we go. We take a rom-com and a true crime and we pair it like a fine wine. <laughs> a fine a fine, fine wine. <laughs> yeah. I am excited. Uh Avrin. You know, so it's the month of November, uh, if you're listening to this live, or not live, but like uh, in order, current. Um, I just went to Starbucks and I got uh, a Christmas drink. I'm just like, they're skipping. I'm like, shouldn't there be Thanksgiving drinks? Or are they just like, everything's Christmas already or holiday? Yeah, I I saw a thing where there are people that put their Christmas tree up the day after Halloween. And I was like, "Huh." huh, I always did it day after Thanksgiving. Yeah, me too. But not day after Halloween. But I, I mean, I get to it? each their own. Yeah. I love a Christmas tree. I do too. We left ours up last year until like February. We did as well because it was a kind of a depressing year. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I, I'm not sure how I feel about the Christmas tree immediately, but I do love all the stuff. And oh, as yeah. I told my daughter, we're going, we're going nuts with Christmas de- decorations this year. Yay. I know. Yes. We're just going to go crazy. I'm so excited. I've just decided that that's what we're going to do. And lean into it. I love a good um, holiday decoration. My mom is like one of the best, most over the top when it comes really? to decorating the, the house. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Oh, yeah. I need some like, I wild. need some uh, Betsy uh, recommendations then because it gets overwhelming for me. Just mm-hmm. like just like decorating my house gets overwhelming for me. I think I have like a decent style. But then when it comes to homes, I'm just like. I don't know how to pair things together. So that's mm-hmm. kind of, but I feel like with Christmas, more, more is more. Is that more right? More is more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can't, you can't do too much. Like if your house looks like Christmas threw up all over it, that's just happiness right there. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So, well, we are sticking with Thanksgiving theme this week or this month of th- of November and um, our next, the rom-com that I will be uh, covering is have has anyone seen son-in-law yes of course okay so but that was so long ago it was in 1993 yeah i mean it's an old movie but man it's a it's a must see if you haven't seen it i can't wait to tell if if you haven't seen it i can't wait to walk you through some of it because it's different than most movies you see these days i think 
But mm-hmm. I was one thing that happens in this movie. Uh, they bring s- someone home for Thanksgiving, and so I was thinking about in my past experiences. Um, mm-hmm. Because I'm a little notorious, and I actually have been told by my husband I have to stop. I'm a notorious. <laughs> he, seriously, he did, because we've had a couple incidences where I've invited just, like, people who have no one to come right. over for Thanksgiving specifically. That's, but I always felt like that's the holiday you did. That. I used to do it back in where my parents lived. We'd always have extra random people. Who knows? Maybe it's my grandma used to do that kind of thing. So it's maybe it rubbed off on me. But yeah, have you ever have had it? Well, I mean, I guess I could tell you quickly what went down. A I was couple like, give, times. give me I mean, an example. I, I think I, I think I might know. I might have been at you this were Thanksgiving. At one of but them. There, tell, tell the stories. There was well, there was one back before I knew my husband, which is crazy. I invited <laughs> two ex boyfriends who were different, oh, and that was just fun. awkward and uncomfortable because <laughs> I think sh- they yeah. thought that I was oh. inviting them to get back together. But I'm an idiot. I'm like a high schooler or something like that no I just felt bad for them and I thought that Thanksgiving is the day of you're giving thanks and you know break bread with people so that was awful and awkward and then later on I had invited my so one of my best friends Daniel you know him well Mm -hmm. I do we do a if we didn't go home for Thanksgiving to see our families we you know we do like a Friendsgiving but at some point you know we live so far away we didn't always go back to Washington State from New York, you know. So yeah. he and I started a thing called Snakesgiving. And we decorated because we're crazy people. And he's like a set designer. He's amazing. So we, we got like all these fake snakes. And it was all like uh, desert themed. Amazing. Yeah, the, so the table was not setting that was one. beautiful. <laughs> no, that was, that was back at his house in uh, Park Slope. And that one I invited a random person who came over who then got very wasted and um crawled on the table um it was what? weird mm-hmm. and there's a little more to that story that i don't know how to say <laughs> i don't know how to say it and maybe i'll take this out but so my, f- my one of my friends i won't name him uh-huh. has a really dark sense of humor and he, we had had a thing we had a turkey and we had a ham and he made some joke. He made some. Pr- he was praying, doing a prayer, and made some awful discol- off-color joke about the ham being a, a baby, a dead baby. Yeah. Oh no. So <laughs> do you remember in like the earlyish two thousands? Yeah, where dead, dead baby, baby jokes. jokes. So yeah. there you go. Maybe I can tell the story because it was. It, when I think back on it, it feels so awful. Right. But the girl, the person who had come and also gotten very tipsy. Um, had apparently, unbeknownst to me, because I didn't know her well, was very religious Catholic, and then, oh. but had also just had an abortion, and so was like feeling lots of guilt, and like it was just w- what he said and what happened was like a pinnacle of pure uh, dysfunction. It was awful, and oh. my husband's like, "Dude, who? Where'd you get this person?" I'm like, "I don't know." But meanwhile, I'm mad at my friend because they made an off uh, off color joke about dead babies. Right. <sighs> and then, wow, that yeah, that sounds awkward as as f. It was f u c k. That sounds awkward. Yeah. And then the other one that you were there for was somebody came and was having a psychotic, actual psychotic episode, and. She wanted me to go to the hospital with her. And I was like, I have 20 people in my house. And I actually felt really bad. She wasn't acting like I, it was it was weird. It, I still have a little bit of guilt about it because I just was like, didn't know what she needed. But she wanted me to just she was acting normal, but wanted me to go to the hospital with her. And I'm like, I can't leave 
my right. Thanksgiving that I'm like literally cooking for 20 people because, you know, we love to do that. Right. And you're like, but we can get you to the hospital. Yeah, we did. We took got her in a yeah. car. But it was just it was one of those weird places where that was the last time. And my husband was like, maybe let's take a break from inviting people we don't know. I'm like, OK, <laughs> what about you? Have you ever had like, any fair enough. awkward experiences where you've invited a house guest over that you don't know well? <laughs> I mean, I was trying, I remembered the Thanksgiving at your house. I, I can't, it wasn't so much that I've had like an unknown or not, you know, like a person at a Thanksgiving that like ruined the meal that mm-hmm. was a stranger to me. But I, I was thinking there was one Thanksgiving, I think it was like 2010, 2011, and our mutual friend Michelle was going to host Um and I invited my brother. My sister Lainey uh, was in college in Albany. She came down with a couple of girls from nice. her tennis team, which I guess I didn't really know them. <laughs> and um, every holiday, you know this too, because we've spent many of them together, I'm always asked to make my special holiday punch, oh, which, yes. we call, which we call consensual sex punch. Yep. <laughs> because it, um, it's that kind of punch that'll really knock you out but yep. you asked me to make it so mm-hmm. it was it's consensual punch. it didn't consensual used to be sex. called consensual it was called something else if you can else. imagine the that's antithesis a, of that that's not a but we did change yeah. it you did change it we did change it because <laughs> i was like i feel like i since everyone asks me to make this even though they know every time i bring this everybody just goes woo yeah. you know because it's got like hard alcohol champagne yeah. not a lot else yeah um and so i come over i make the punch We've got seven, like there's couldn't have, couldn't have been less than 15 people there. So we're thinking, you know, dinner's coming soon. Everyone's imbibing. Cut to 10 p.m. and the turkey was still not cooked. Oh and no. there's a photo of like every single one of us like passed out on the couch <laughs> because <laughs> dinner didn't get ready in time. And then we all kind of groggily uh, got up and ate food. It was like one of those hilarious things where. Yeah. New York City apartment kitchens, it's everything's small. Oh, yeah. Things don't work the way they should. So it just took that turkey like several hours longer than my friend anticipated. <laughs> um, but it was it was hilarious. I have a great picture of my brother who does not drink much anyway. Probably only had like one cup of punch, but he's like fully just sleeping in a chair up against <laughs> the wall while the rest of us are like having Thanksgiving party around him. Yeah. Uh, but he did get up in time for dinner. So I guess that was kind of my like, wackiest things that's a great story you know whether you you do your thanksgiving with family or friends oftentimes there is quite a lot of uh imbibing as you said and yeah the holidays is hairy it's you know well especially you know it kind of reminds me of like my wedding when i didn't know that the the caterer forgot to put out all of the appetizers that were supposed to be available for people oh, yeah, uh, we got during shit the based. cocktail hour. So everybody <laughs> spent an hour just like pounding some really good margaritas. And then dinner came, but it was like the damage had been done. You oh, know? yeah. The we were had drunk. Been drank it. Yeah. It so was it was hilarious. Funny. But I had no idea because I wasn't I wasn't out. I was tucked away in a room waiting. <laughs> Oh, yeah, to get married. Getting ready. Yeah. So I didn't, yeah, I didn't know that that had happened. Or, of course, I would have been like, yo, man, where are my quesadillas and chips and salsa? (laughs) (laughs) Help the people. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, okay, listen. So I do love Thanksgiving. It is one of my favorite holidays. Um, And so it's been fun to like. It's uh, There's a couple more past this one that we have that are Thanksgiving theme rom-coms. But I'm calling Son-in-Law a culture clash rom-com. And it came out Ooh. in 1993. That's right. 
And it has a Rotten Tomatoes score of uh, 21% for the critics score and the audience is 58%. So it's not great reviews <laughs> all around. But personally, like, I kind of enjoy, I mean, I enjoy the shit out of it. Though there I, are, I loved it. Me too. And there, But there are some problematic parts, you know, just it being mm-hmm. 93, what's that, like 30 years ago, right? Almost, um, yeah. And it, but, but all in all, it is like a lighthearted story that ha- right. had it's me silly. into it. Yeah. It has Polly Shore in it, exactly. right? Like You just know that you're in for like a wild, wacky, silly ride. Right. So if you're listening and you don't know who Polly Shore is, because it's kind of... He, so he like his fame, it it like shot off and then fizzled pretty quickly. So he hasn't, yeah. he hasn't been doing much. But he... So he plays Crawl, this resident art... Uh, what resident something an ra ra yeah yeah. advisor resident advisor and he's this guy who's essentially like a super senior and like or like a forever student majoring all the in all the little things but the fun there's some fun facts about Polly shore he is the son of mitzi shore who owned the comedy store did you know that oh i had no idea i know so i think that makes a lot of sense then that he yeah that he would Get into comedy. Yeah. And like I said, he rose to fame quickly. He had, I don't know if he was like an MTV host or whatnot, but he had a thing called like Totally Polly. And his humor, Mm -hmm. it's a very specific, he's like a character in everything. He's like, yeah, man, cool. Um, Yeah. Grinded. Like he was like that Southern, like Southern California stoner. Yeah. He he was kind of one of the first people to do that. Yeah, exactly. And he came became one of his biggest movies was Encino Man. That's one of the first like mm-hmm. Weezing the Juice. Yeah. So he had this like Biodome. specific Biodome's another one. Um and then obviously Son in Law is a good one. But after people started to become annoyed with his like brand of humor, it just they completely sort of shunned him. So since since the like ninety seven, he's only done a couple things that he's directed and he's apparently done a lot of voiceover work, which I think is interesting, but oh. it's just fascinating where it's right. Like his brand of humor was like it yeah. for a time. And then people changed their minds. Kind I of guess, like or Tom Green. Remember Tom Green? Oh yeah. Yeah. Similar. Yeah. I think that Polly Shore is a little more lovable, but Tom Green was really awkward he and was aggressive. Like gross out. Yeah. Humor. I didn't like humor. it. Yeah. Okay, so the other um, starring person in this movie is Carla Dugino, who plays Rebecca. And um, but but Carla actually has been working a lot. She she was just She's in Gunpowder Milkshake. She was in San that Andreas. Was a fun one. See, I didn't see Gunpowder Milkshake yet. I really I thought it was to. I thought it was fun. It's just like a bunch of badass ladies who are assassins. Oh, you know? I'm excited. Give give yeah. it to me. Give it to me. <laughs> and San Andreas, you know, that's like. I know. Outside of, you know, I love horror movies and stuff, but my favorite type of movie is a movie like San Andreas where like some cataclysmic... Like a disaster. Like weather event happens and everyone has to try to survive. And if The Rock is in it, all the better. Um, Same with me. I, I love The Rock. I love The Rock. I, you I know what's funny? I, I love The Rock. I love Terry Crews. I'm not really like a person who would date guys who are super muscular like that. I mean, my husband's mm-hmm. adorable. I love you, Adam, if you're listening. Um, but no, but I'm not looking... I'm not ever dating like roided right, out like, dudes, like big ass. Like, but I love those. I guys. don't even know what it's called. I'm like MMA, WWE. I'm mean, <laughs> one of those. Wait, like bodybuilders. They're like bodybuilders. Yeah. I don't even know. They are. So anyway. And, and they are built. But man, I just I, enjoy the shit out of him in I all know. of his movies. Ooh, is there like a rom-com with The Rock? We'll find it. 
Or is yeah. there a crime, true crime with the rock? Hopefully not. Um, oh, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm just going to take us through the movie. The movie, The Son-in-Law. So it, we, the movie opens and Carla played Rebecca. Let's call her Rebecca. She is playing this high school senior. She's graduating from high school. She's valedictorian. She valedictorian. She gives this great speech about, you know, finding your destiny. And her next move is that she is going to go to university in Los Angeles. She's got, Mm -hmm. she's from North Dakota and they live on a farm, an active working farm where there's like animals, I'm not sure, being bred for slaughter. I'm not really quite sure the whole situation, but she's like legitimately raised on a farm. And she also... sorry. My dog is like running in his sleep right now. Oh my that's God, why that's I keep so looking cute. over. I was like, what's he doing? I mean, he's fully, there's a dream happening. I'm so sorry. I just realized I, you saw me like looking. I did. Over I was like, why you. are you not listening to me, Avrin? No. I'm listening. I'm listening. I'm <laughs> no, listening. I'm kidding. Um, she has I, the so cutest North dog, Dakota. by the way. Um, yes, North Dakota. That's where they live. And as, okay, so, sh- so Rebecca has also a, a high school sweetheart who is like really worried about her leaving, but he, she's like, nothing's going to change. It's going to be the same. She's a goody two shoes. She's like, you know, a beautiful, she, they dress her almost like a little girl in a way, but she's got brown hair and Carla is gorgeous. As That actress is so pretty. In yeah, fact, and she hasn't aged at all. It's crazy. Wild. I helped her once at, um, one of the uh, luxury retail stores I worked at. Oh, fun. And I had to like actually help her put a dress on. And I was just like, oh my God, you are so, your body is so beautiful. I mean, is that bad that I say? But I was like, holy crap. Like, I, I can't believe people actually have what I like that. was zipping up. I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> anyway, she's beautiful. So, but she's playing like a kind of a sweet, you know, and her, she. She's an innocent farm girl. Yeah. And she tells her boyfriend, no, don't worry. We're, we'll see each other at Thanksgiving. I'll be back. So mom, dad, and little brother drive her out all the way to Los Angeles. And it's a funny scene. Once they get to L.A., the traffic is off, like so awful. It, I get a little like hives just watching it. They're beeping, <laughs> slamming on the brakes. And then they're in the dorms. There's people everywhere. It's like early 90s. So it's like all of the they're trying to show like how it's like sort of like out of control and there's like right. the people are like skateboarding yeah. down the hallway <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. and <laughs> she gets to her room finally and her dad like brings up her stuff and her roommate they're so excited because her roommate seems like such a nice girl um and we find out that the roommate is gay which is great and but the the, the parents are scandalized as the roommate kisses her girlfriend goodbye and they're just like oh my god and they they can't get the trunk open he he brought the dad brought this big ass trunk with all her stuff and they forgot the key so he so the dad goes to the RA which is across the hall which makes him feel so much better that there's someone right. in you know power that could be close if she needs anything of his sweet daughter and it, as he enters, they go into Polly. Sh- it's Polly Shore, and he's like, "Hey, right. man, what do you need?" She's like, "I need a tool to open my daughter's trunk." And he's like, "Is she hot? You got a daughter, man? Cool." And he's like, hanging upside down. <laughs> the dad is freaking out. Anyways, the parents leave, and she is on her own going to school, and it's a little bit much for her. It's like this, you know, dorm with tons of people, communal living. You know they have to use, they have to share the bathroom with a yeah. hundred people. I did you go into dorms? Moving. Did you live in dorms? I did. I lived in the dorm my freshman year. Um, 
It was fine, but I was not, you know, I wasn't like a small town girl who lived on a farm who then right. moved to a major city. I went to the University of Kansas in Lawrence, which was, <laughs> you know, actually a smaller town than the one I came from. Right. Um, but yeah, living in dorms is always, it's interesting, you know, you like try to make friends and meet new people and it kind of does help that you are you know, all live together mm-hmm. makes it easier I, mean, I love I so I went to community college right out of high school so I didn't move out of town um right. and so when I did go to my, the university after I got my two-year degree okay something that happens in the states for some people do that I don't know if that happens anywhere else but whatever I got an AA um, and then mm-hmm. when I went to uh, the university I went to, I did live in the dorms right at first because I was like, I don't know anybody. Like, I'm just coming yeah. in. But it was kind of funny. I had I had four or three roommates, one that lived in my section. There was like a middle common area, and then there was two other ones. And the two other girls were just great, like bizarre. One girl was really funny, really sarcastic. I liked her, but her roommate was just like – hypochondriac all sorts of crazy stuff and then and they were young I was like obviously I was two years older than everybody but then my roommate was a foreign exchange student from Japan I loved her her name was Hiromi she was 30 years old which like oh amazing we were like oh my god she's so old but she was one of the funniest person people I I ever met and I lost contact with her because it was pre-Facebook so makes me sad um but she was she was funny she would like Oh, there's stories. I, I, I can't. I can't. I need to keep I going. would love to hear her stories as the 30-year-old um, roommate yeah. to two 18-year-olds oh. and a 20-year-old. I bet you she was like either in hell or just has like the most hilarious I think memories. she she was not like a typical, I, I maybe I'm wrong, but she wasn't like a typical Japanese uh, person. She was like, when, when I came in, we had bunk beds and I was on the top of the bunk bed. She had already claimed the bottom because obviously she had been there, I guess, before me. And my now husband, but like then boyfriend was, you know, bringing my stuff in. And she turned to me and Adam and was like, um, it, you, it's okay if you want to have sex up there. I sleep really deep. And I was like, oh. Adam and I were like, ha. <laughs> like, okay. Like, Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I probably won't be doing that. Um, right. my husband's thank like you for letting me know it's okay. Foot huge man, but you know, or my boyfriend at the time. Yeah, it was so funny. You're like, Adam's not getting up on that top bunk. He <laughs> didn't. No, <laughs> I'm sure we found different places to do it. Uh, anyway, <laughs> we okay. So back to the story. So just you know, dorm life is it brings back a lot of memories, and this is where we meet new people and we grow. And so Becca is having a hard time. She's it's really loud. She's missing her family. She calls her boyfriend crying. She can't wait to go back home and see him. Although when she does call him, it seems like he's waiting for another girl. Something weird. There's something strange happening in that situation. But I'm not sure why he's playing two women right here. But I think that's what's going on. But anyways, it's Halloween. They're having a full on like party in the hall. We're talking kegs and smoking and just nuts craziness and someone breaks her horse her wooden horse that her grandpa pappy whittled and she's like i'm leaving i'm getting out of here so she's about to call her mom or someone to somehow get her home and Polly shore comes through with his little camera he's taking video and he's like and he essentially he convinces her to stay he's like you know you haven't seen LA you can't leave LA because you haven't actually seen LA she's just been going to school and this next section is basically her completely changing 
she goes as you do as, as you, you do. do when you when you move away and you get to be whoever you want to yeah. be and you move to a different t- place with different people and you discover things about yourself and the thing about you know Polly Shore's character um crawl is he's definitely straight because he makes a lot of slightly problematic rude sexual comments to her and different people but he also has a real s- soft side and and this could be just Polly Shore as as a person too but like this character was really like almost felt like a gay best friend too in a way right he takes her to get her get new clothes she gets some real sexy 90s clothes she gets her hair cut chopped off and it's a real cute bob with blonde she dyes it blonde she gets a tattoo avrin on her ankle of a butterfly that is so 90s do you have any tattoos you don't do you i don't i actually have a great funny college tattoo story though oh no my freshman year (laughs) They do this thing called like Parents Weekend, I think maybe a week or two weeks after it starts, right? So my parents come up, they take me out to dinner. Um, There's much wine consumed, not by me because I was only 17. Um, And there's a tattoo parlor right next door. And my mom's like, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's get tattoos. And I, I was like, yeah, let's do it. Uh, So long story short, I chickened out. My mom got a tattoo. That's amazing, Avrin. Oh yeah. my god! Yeah. Wow, Betsy. So I don't hardcore. have one, but my but my badass mama, she's still got hers. It's on it's on her foot. Amazing. <gasps> That's so cool. Yeah, I also am. I wussed out, and I haven't gotten a tattoo. Not wussed out. Whatever. You know what? You know what, Ab? It is just as brave saying no as getting yeah, a tattoo. Yeah, I don't want one. I yeah. don't want one. I always thought maybe I'd get one when I'm 50, but we'll work on that. I still got 20 years or something less, more. I don't know. <laughs> Anywho, so she gets a tattoo, and it's, it's the scene is really funny. It's Flea from um, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Do you remember Flea? Oh, right. He's he, the bassist. Yeah, he's the tattoo artist, right? Yeah, and he's like, he's, she's like, what should I get? And he's like, you pick it, I stick it. Anyways, oh. dumb, but he's, I always like Flea whenever he yeah. pops up in a movie. So... So we're getting to the place where she's kind of she's kind of learning a little bit more about crawl, and she's like, "Well, what you know?" She tells him about her parents, and she's got this great family, and she's like, "Well, what's your family like?" Uh, apparently, his mom's a pit boss in Vegas, and he so he kind of grew up in around Vegas. So his family is really busy and just kind of insane, um, and. Then Travis, the old but current boyfriend, calls on the communal phone and she's like, who's this? You know, so she's like a new person. So they're back. Right. And she's had all this fun. She's, you know, she's been out to bars with Crawl. By the way, there's yep, a scene. She's like a big time rollerblader. Yes. Oh, my God. I love the rollerblading scene. I'm like, I think I need to get rollerblades. Why yes. not? I love rollerblades. Um, and she there's also a scene with like a mud wrestling bar where crawl which i think this is another problematic scene where he thinks he's gonna wrestle like some hot girl in the mud and it ends up being like a very large woman who truly kicks his butt but it seems like it's i don't know making fun of size that is that uh, making fun of a size that's not the norm and i just think fuck that like i'm glad that we've evolved uh, you know it's such a cheap Stupid joke. Yeah. So I yeah. just wanted to say stupid, bad son-in-law. No. Bad joke, son-in-law. No. And so as Becca is about to head out for Thanksgiving to see her parents, she finds out that Crawl, he's not going to, he's not going to Vegas to see his mom. Not, he doesn't know where his dad's at. He's just going to stay home and have a hungry man pilgrim style, I guess is what it was. No. And she just can't have that. I understand, Becca. I get you, girl. Because it's like, 
if you know you yeah. don't want people to be alone and and this it's is a girl holiday. after your own heart i know but <laughs> swear to god so she he comes home with her first of all when she gets off the plane the parents are like what the hell happened to you your hair your clothes oh my god and then crawl gets off and you know the dad definitely remembers him so they're definitely mm-hmm. not happy the mom and dad are not stoked about that and the little brother is pissed because he has to the little brother is probably paying playing like a 13 year old it's that mm-hmm. red-headed kid from sandlot um oh, i should know okay. his name but he, you know he's kind of like he plays like kind of a brat but yeah he ends up sharing the room with him and he get they get to the farm and Crawl is going nuts. He has like his little video camera and he's like, oh my God, right. chickens, chicken. Oh my God. I mean, he's acting oh. like, I, I, he's acting a little maybe. Uh, like cracked out. Cracked <laughs> out. Yes. I was like, how do I say yeah. this nicely? Like, I'm like, did he do drugs before? Maybe. You never know. And the family is just like, what the hell? But the mom's like, no, no, no. Make yourself at home. You know, whatever you need. And so he heads to the fridge and he use, he says one of his things that he always says, like, I'm going to go munching on some grindage, buddy. That's like oh, yeah, the buddy, buddy. thing. Yeah. yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yep. And so back in the barn, Becca, and she's with her boyfriend, Travis. And he's about, he gets on one knee and he seems like he's about to propose. And so she kind of like faints or she feigns fainting. And he says, why, why don't you take, go and take a nap? You know, you've been traveling. And as she's walking out, he's like, don't worry about your hair. It'll grow back. What a dick. Oh, Asshole. Like he's just, you know, you got to write it in though, because otherwise we wouldn't know he's such an asshole. And then it turns out that actually Crawl is a computer genius and he fixes uh, her little brother's computer. So they're like starting to get, you know, to become buddies. Are they buddies? They're buddies. Yeah. (laughs) And the little brother says, so you're just an old hacker like me disguised as as an idiot. (laughs) Which I thought that was a funny (laughs) line because it's kind of true. And then Becca barges in and she confesses to Crawl. Travis is going to mar- ask me to marry him. And <laughs> Carl's like, ew. <laughs> but because Becca, Becca feels bad because she doesn't, she doesn't have feelings for Travis and she just feels guilty and obligated, and, but she needs to end it. And she does feel better after talking with her bestie, Crawl. He's like, it's going to be okay. You're just going to, you're just going to tell him you don't, it's not, you don't have feelings for him anymore. It'll be fine. And as her and Crawl are out shopping, she sees one of her best friends from high school Tiffany Amber Thiessen. Tracy is her name. Amazing. I was like, what was her name in the movie? And crawl, and then crawl comes out in chaps, assless chaps, which I enjoy. <laughs> he has a cute little butt and assless chaps. That, but where she's just like, oh my god, hi! And it was not really for anything, but to, for us to introduce, be Tracy. introduced to Tracy, who's yeah, Amber. Wait, Tiffany Amber Thiessen. Yeah, so that's saved by the bell fame. Exactly. And later at the country club. So they're they're country, but they're also in the country club. And Mm. later then, Crawl comes out, Polly Shore comes out with this like outfit. It's like some Daisy Duke belted overalls and a cowboy hat. And he joins their family for dinner. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> I can't visualize that for some reason. Oh, and that's Avrin, me. I have a I have a gif of it or gif, depending on where you're from. Or I think it's gif, whatever. And I have a gif of that, but I'm gonna share it. It's so funny, um, amazing. So Travis gets everyone's attention in the country club, and he's like, as you all know, Rebecca and I have been courting for over five years, and. Then he fucking proposes and Becca freaks out and pr- punches crawl. Yeah. She punches him in the, in like the shoulder, just like help. And he, right. he, he pops up and he's like, sorry, you can't propose to her because 
I already proposed and she accepted. But don't worry, she never cheated on you, man. <laughs> um, yeah. And then Travis storms out and Becca follows. Then Crawl follows her and bitch face Travis punches him in the nose. And Polly Shore's reaction to this is seriously how I would react. Just like, ow, why? And he curls up in a fetal position. Um, so back home, the parents... They're not happy. Mom says, right. we just need to calm down and deal with this like adults. And then dad asks him, how do you propose to support my daughter? And he asks, Carl's like, well, what do you do? And he's like, I run this farm. And the dad is, the dad barks back, I run this farm. And Carl's like, well, that's what I'll do. I'll be a farmer. And then the dad and the farmhand, this guy Theo, smile devilishly. Like, they're like, tomorrow we're going to show you what it's like to be on a farm. Yeah, you think you can do this? Exactly. (laughs) Totally. And so, City boy. They're like, we're going to break you, city slicker. Um, So they wake him up at the crack of dawn and pretty much begin to torture him with farm chores, which that would be torture for me. I mean, Mm -hmm. I like animals so much. I love them, but I also hate the smell of poo-poo. Yeah. Um, I would like maybe like brushing the horses. I could get into yeah. that. But don't ask me to, I don't know, do anything yet with the poop. I feel like I could do it. I feel like I would get, because I'm pretty I mean, tough. Could do but it. I'm like, I get it. I mean, ah, yucky. And he's trying to, uh, he's trying to. Is he still wearing his Daisy Duke overalls? He's wearing his Daisy Duke overalls. Yes, sir, ma'am, sir. And he <laughs> puts on, or he's trying to milk a cow. But like for some reason, he's positioned himself near the buttocks of the cow and the cow urinates on him. It's a real real gross thing because it feels real. Yeah. Um, Then it's lunchtime with the family. They're back at the house and they're all just having a much needed uh, lunch. And it reminds me of the Pioneer Woman who's, have you ever watched that show? Mm -mm. It's a cooking show. Oh my God, you guys, whoever knows the Pioneer Woman, her family's always out roping cattle and doing stuff and then they come in and eat whatever that's what's happening they're having lunch and the family starts to fight with each other and crawl yells stop it you guys are being so mean becca she always told me her family was great and she was right clearly it's me so i'm just gonna go and everybody's like silent just like letting him go mm-hmm. he's like trying to leave he's trying to wait for somebody and right, Becca's he's like, like someone's gonna them. stop me yeah right. exactly they're like hello so finally the dad gets it and he's like no one's going anywhere. You know, we're going to we're going to figure this out. And crawl, we want you to stay and the little bro offers to help him with the farm stuff. So, even though he's a reverend, this next section of him like working on the farm is he's actually getting things done but like his way. Maybe a little different, right. but he's doing it his way. Like he's riding his That's right. got his rollerblades with all the hay and he's giving it to the animals and just he's, you know, he is creative, and that's what makes the world yes. go round. Um, and then mistaking, okay, so then later on this night, this is just like a whole other side story, but mistaking Becca's mom for Becca, he comes up behind her as she's wrapped in a towel just out of the shower and mm-hmm. kind of, you know, what's Gropes her? Yeah, no, not gropes, <laughs> but he kind of puts his his wiener in her butt a little, you know, like, like oh, kind of does like a little, like one of those, like, like, I'm not sure if it's a funny thing that they do as friends. Like he like Becca and he him. Thrusts, he thrusts. He kind of grabs his her. booty and thrusts himself very, I think it's a nineties, uh, non-threatening act, but like today, if someone yeah. did that to a friend that would seem inappropriate and maybe cops yep. would be called. I'm not really sure, mm-hmm. but so anyway, the mom is like, Oh God, it's not. And one thing leads to another. 
we find out that she's unhappy in her marriage and doesn't feel like her husband pays any attention to her. And he's like, girl, I got you. They go upstairs and he put, oh does God, like does an, he give her a makeover. He does. We don't get to see the makeover until they get to this. Uh, let's see there. What is it? It's like, um, like a boot scoot and boogie country line dancing discotheque bar place or whatever. And she oh, enters. Fun. She's in like a sexy tight, bright pink thing. Cause before this, she'd been real dowdy and, and she looks right. hot. I mean, this actress looks fabulous. And the dad is a little like first weirded out. And then another dude comes up and asks mom to dance. And he's like, Oh wait, daddy likes it. Daddy, you know, <laughs> and they have a, they have a blast and their relationship is getting better, but it's all due to crawl. So, you know, so crawl really is making the family better. Exactly. You just got to put your little, you know, you got to put your groin in your mother-in-law's Mother. butt and what? <laughs> so upsetting. I'm like trying to visualize. I know. Like how that would ever be appropriate to do. To a friend. Especially since, since we know that um, Becca isn't his actual Exactly. They're not. Fiance. I know. It's, it's, like I said, it is borderline not okay. Or right. maybe, maybe yeah. it isn't okay, but. We'll just keep on going because you know what? There's calm. It's the calm and we laugh at things. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Travis comes up over to apologize for punching him at the bachelor. And, and he, Travis offers to throw him a bachelor party and Crawl gives him a hug because Crawl's this like Southern California sweetie. And then Crawl hops up on stage and starts singing and rapping in it. The crowd loves it. It is so uncomfortable for me to watch though. It's not great. Okay. And then he crowd surfs. Not good. It's all just like, I know that I think the writers wanted it to be good, but it wasn't. And at home, <laughs> the mom and dad are drunk and happy, and they're just like ready to get sexy. Um, as Becca and Crawl come home, Becca says, if it wasn't for you, I'd be engaged right now. And he replies, you are engaged. And that is somehow sexy. And they start to about kiss. And Poppy, uh -huh. who, who's sitting on the porch whitt whittling, says, don't mind me. No one else does. And then crawl whittles Poor with Poppy. Poppy. I know. But by... Oh, good. Yeah. So he, he actually he doesn't try him. to make the moves on his friend just yet. Exactly. <laughs> Mom and dad push their twin beds together and it is implied. Oh, I know. Why? Uh, like, this is the 90s. The 90s. <laughs> it's not like the 1890s. Well... They have t separate twin beds. I don't know. My grandparents did, but I think these guys seem earlier than that. I don't know. Hmm. Um, Crawl goes fishing with dad and Poppy That's their next fun thing Poppy and dad get in a fight And Poppy has a spell Like almost a heart attack Crawl is trying to save him By administering mouth to mouth is that what Oh it's my god I do called? remember that scene and Where it's like He's like get off Yeah me. he wakes like, up <laughs> And this is totally problematic Because he's It's like why is it gross If it's between me dying And him kissing me I'd rather die The old man says I'm like well then fucking die Because just <laughs> Relax. Die already. Jesus Christ. Right. Calm down. Um, let's see. The farmhand pushes the turkey. Oh, oh, this scene is where they're gonna make uh they're gonna make Polly Shore kill a turkey. It doesn't work. And then it's the bachelor party that Travis is throwing, and Theo, the farmhand. Okay, so to get this uh first of all, I'm like, why is he throwing a bachelor party? But like I guess we need this scene to happen. We're in this bar, it's only men. Right. And they're it's it's it is karaoke night also just random. And they're giving him beer. He's drinking beer. He goes up on stage to sing some karaoke and he kind of gets like kind of a disoriented word. We don't really see him. Then Tiffany Amber Thiessen's character comes in and she's supposed to be like the 
The stripper. The stripper, which is like, what? Why would you have somebody come in? So she's, she, I actually got really nervous in this scene because she starts dancing and undressing. And I, I was so terrified that this was going to have the same outcome as like that movie, The Accused with Jodie Foster. Oh God. It right, felt like it. It looked the yeah, same. Yeah, because she's all alone. Yeah. She's the only girl. And then they feed her beer because they, Theo and Travis, they, um, what do you call it? They... Roofied them. Roofied them both. And in the morning, they staged them in the barn as if they had slept together. So when they when when Becca found them, she was very upset because guess what? She is starting to like crawl for realsies. Um, and then we see Tim Tiffany Amber Thiessen, Tracy, sorry. She's getting back into her car after waking up. Um, and she has to pull her seat up because somebody bigger was in there. And then she's driving mm -hmm. away and Travis pulls up and belittles her. And he says, after what we had together. And she's like, I don't remember anything from last night. And she's acting her goddamn balls off. It felt real. I don't know. Right. I, I don't know if she'd been drugged before in real life, but she it felt so real. I was just like, oh, my God. So Crawl leaves and he's heading back to L.A. Um, the little brother's super sad and they're all sad. And Travis is crowding Becca. He's overbearing. Tiffany is crying mm -hmm. and driving home. And as she's driving home, she finds this bottle of pills that the guys left. Oh, so she finds idiots. It. Yeah. She finds the, she finds the Rohypnol. Exactly. So thank God. And as she does like an aggressive, yeah. dangerous U-turn, she sees crawl hitchhiking. She picks him up. She's like, we got to talk, buddy. And <laughs> crawl, they come back. Crawl does a couple. Oh, wait, sorry. We need to talk. So then it's Thanksgiving dinner. And Travis is there and not taking a fucking hint. And then he asks Becca to marry him, marry him again oh after God. all this. Because get, now that. Get a clue. I know. I'm like, what? Why can't you just see? Like, she doesn't want you. She faked it. Well, he doesn't know she faked. But like, just because the proposal's off with Crawl, now it should be fine to she'll be just, back on. What? Right. Like she'll just get back together with you now. Yeah. <laughs> But all comes to be revealed. Crawl barges in with Tracy. It is revealed that Theo drugged them and drove her car with Travis and staged the two of them in the barn. And Crawl does a couple of these like karate moves on Travis, elbow to the stomach, fist to the face. And he's like, I majored in karate for two semesters. <laughs> <laughs> Th Theo, the farmhand, gets fired because the dad's like, dude, that's messed up. Yeah, yeah it is messed can't up. Can't work for me. No. And Travis and Theo, the farmhand, leave. Tracy stays for Thanksgiving dinner, which is great. And Becca is about to reveal that they were never actually engaged. But Crawl interrupts and says, they're going to take some time. Hey, we just wanted to let you guys know that we're actually going to take some time and not schedule the wedding and just be together for a little bit longer. And the parents are like, oh, I think they, I think that's a great idea. <laughs> yeah. And then the dad interrupts and he's like, let's chow down here and munch on some grindage because he's trying to be cool. Right. Because he speaks crawl now. Yeah, exactly. And in the end, it ends in a Thanksgiving photo. Crawl was good for his for this family and the overbearing creep of an ex-boyfriend is defeated. And then yes. this thing called love. Oh yeah. This thing. I call love. Called love. I just na, na, na. It's great. And then that's where the movie ends. So it's not they 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 do end up together. Crawl and Becca. They're just not engaged. But they're not engaged, which is like, please don't do that. Why? And and right. think about it, Avern, you were 17 when you first went to college mm -hmm. like that she mm -hmm. could be 17 right she's probably i mean she she's might not be meant 18. to be any older than 18 yeah 
So I'm glad that they didn't end this movie like the While You Were Sleeping movie where they just get married in the barn at the end and you're, you're like, what's this all happening exactly. in a week? And she's 18. I know. Um, cougar banana. But I just do, I do remember that I think part of the reason why this movie, which is clearly problematic in so many ways, came across as goofy and charming. And it, it, it was 100% Polly Shore. Yeah. And like his like weird oddball character that was somehow endearing and was able to get away with things that you're like no no mm-hmm. um I know I'm and like and then also why I feel like um the actress Carla I don't know how you say her is it Gugino name. or Gugino I think it's Gugino Gugino I don't know okay <laughs> I, I also feel like because she's got a lot of like charisma yeah. and charm that it you know it's a movie and that's why we allow certain things to happen but I wonder if the reason he sort of fell off the earth a little bit was because, and they made some jokes about it because he was more feminine too. I I don't know. Mm -hmm. I was discussing that with my husband a little bit and he's like, I think it was, I think he just had like off colored humor and people weren't into it. But I'm like, I don't know. There's a lot of like homophobic assholes out there that maybe that could have been why he was. That maybe. Yeah. Cause there is, like you said, there was something about at least in this movie, the character almost felt like he was like her flamboyant friend who could give the mom a makeover and so there was you know he was like a little bit um he had more feminine qualities which is why he was a better guy because that meant he was listening yeah and seeing what the family needed that's a good thing I will say I really love that aspect of it because I feel like you know straight men can should be allowed to be um more sensitive and 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 kind how how that is and then right and gay men or non-binary people i feel like the what what you're forced to be whatever the gender role specific things or like what we believe i i'm i want those tropes to be gone like let it let people be who they are innately and 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 i guess in a way that makes this movie a little bit progressive since it is almost 30 years old and the main character is somebody who is just who he is unapologetically. Um, I don't know. I guess we can't, we don't know. So we can't speak to like why he was super super famous and the star of every movie and then wasn't anymore. It could just be, you know, some people, unfortunately, like they're more flash in the pan. There's not a long sustainability there. And the type of movie that he was making that was doing well there was only a short period of time where that was the time. Yeah, I don't think wanted. he was a ne- necessarily an actor either. And I'm also not yeah. saying, like, if you watch this movie, you're like, Vanya, what the hell are you talking about? He's like total um, misogynist. He he has his moments too. So there, oh, it's, sure. it's tough. It's tough. It's not an easy, not black and white people. There is a gray area up in his pitch. Wait, <laughs> yeah. okay. So, Avrin, now that you have heard this, this rom com, or as I called it, a culture clash rom com, because it's like uh-huh, you've got the city like. folk and you got the herb, you got this. Uh, country folk. The country folk. Oh my gosh. Do you ever see that movie Big Business? Um, with um I Bette Midler and Lily Lily Thompson. Oh. Or Tomlin. Lily Tomlin. I oh my god, it's Lily. one of the best movies ever. Their outfits are so oh. amazing. And that is the best culture clash movie I feel like ever. You're right. Ever made. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Love that one. Beautiful. Love it. Love it. Um, so okay. When I was looking for a crime to pair like a fine wine <laughs> with son in law. Yeah. I, of course, initially was like, I got to find a good crime where someone kills the son-in-law they don't like. But the more I was thinking about the movie, the more what, what I remembered sticking out to me about it was that she just, this girl wanted to like move on, expand, 
uh, not be forced to like stay with the boy that she had been with all through high school and how it kind of reminded me of, you know, in bars when a guy won't take no for an answer about buying you a drink or trying to talk to you that women often feel the need to be like, I'm sorry, I'm married or I have a boyfriend or just because somehow the man will always respect the invisible man who isn't even there and back off once you've established that some other guy actually already has you um and how frustrating that is that you can't just be like i am not interested anymore thank you no thank you because i don't like you anymore and that is my prerogative and so then i started to kind of stew on that a little bit Mm. and i decided all right i'm not going to do i did find something where a grandmother killed her son-in-law and was very happy with herself for doing it i saw that Um, i saw that yeah i yeah i also found a crime that it was actually a man in Washington State who had found out that his daughter's fiance had like sold her into sex trafficking. I saw that. And, yeah, he went and they rescued the daughter and then he ended up murdering the fiance. That happened in Spokane, Washington, which is where yeah. I'm going for my grandma's memorial in a couple weeks. Just so you know, well, weird small yeah. town, small world. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know the guy, by the way. <laughs> but yes, I, I read that. Yeah. So, I mean, I was definitely looking in that vein, but then I thought to myself, I think I want to focus more on... When we're talking about being able to pair rom-coms with true crime, it's because a lot of them are, in hindsight, very problematic. They play on all of these hor- horrible stereotypes. Um, they're also super fun, you know, and they and they they have their place. But it's you know, it's always like the uptight woman and the and the loosey goosey dude, yeah. or vice versa, or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and in this one, what I kept coming back to was, this is just a girl who's desperate to extract herself from a relationship with her high school boyfriend and he just won't take no for an answer. He is she gets engaged to someone else and his idea of how to fix that or instead of just letting it go and moving on is to like drug people, create scenarios where it looks like sex was happening to try to like I don't know where I was just like wow, what a sick fuck. <laughs> so um so I started looking into high school sweetheart stories and I found um this story and it I the sources that I used um for when I read it to you is uh a 48 hours episode called loved to death and then there was an episode on the podcast called fresh hell podcast um which is another like true crime podcast cool all right so I'm going to tell you this story and we will then we can talk afterwards about more about my tie-in there. So it was the evening of July 3rd, 2011 in Wayland, Massachusetts, which is an upscale suburb of Boston. And Chloe, Hannah, and Genevieve were worried. The group of best friends had planned to get together that evening and Lauren Astley, one of their besties, had failed to show up. Furthermore, she wasn't returning any of their calls or texts. And then they got a call from another friend asking them if they'd seen Lauren because they saw her car parked at the beach with all of the windows rolled down and Lauren's purse and laptop were left inside. When Lauren's parents, Malcolm Astley and Mary Dunn, hear about the car, they call police to report her missing and immediately head to the beach to look for Lauren. At one point, her father even like runs into the water with a flashlight screaming her name looking for her. A search party of Lauren's friends and families comb the beach for any sign of her. They find nothing. While police are now getting involved and looking in her car, her cell phone's in there, and they discover that the last text that uh, that was sent from Lauren's phone was to Nathaniel Fujita, 
her ex-boyfriend, and the one-word text simply said, here. So Lauren Astley was the only child of Malcolm Astley and Mary Dunn, who were both educators. The couple divorced in 2006, but they shared custody of Lauren and were both extremely close to their daughter. Lauren was described by her friends as sparkly, outgoing, sassy, and fun. She was the captain of um, her high school tennis team and a lead singer in the high school a cappella group. Nathaniel Nate is what he went by. Fujita was handsome, a little reserved, and a superstar on his high school football team. He was the son of Beth and Tomo Fujita, and Tomo, Nate's father, especially in this area, was a very well-known guitarist and a professor at um, the prestigious Berkeley School of Music, oh, which wow. is a pretty, it's a big deal yeah. school. He was a professor there and a very well-known guitarist. Um, Lauren and Nate began dating their sophomore year of high school. Nate's uncle, George Mattingly, describes, La described Lauren as part of the Fujito family. Like, she was always around. She was part of their lives. Um, she was a part of the family. And the pair, to anyone looking, seemed ideal. They were both attractive and popular, um, and they seemed to really love each other. But their relationship had turned into a bit of a roller coaster ride by the time they started senior year. It seemed that they were constantly fighting, and then it turned into they break up, they get back together, they break up, they get back together, just over and over and over again. But in the spring of their senior year, on her 18th birthday, Lauren ended her relationship with Nate for good. Lauren felt so relieved after finally putting like an official end to the relationship because she was headed to college in the fall and she was so excited about expanding her world and meeting new people. And she just knew that there was no reason for her to keep this relationship that was clearly not going to work out yeah. going any longer. And she just felt relieved that she'd finally extricated herself from it. She did the right thing as opposed yeah, to in the she, movie where she just right, strung she it along it for three months or whatever. Right. And told him like, well, nothing will change and we'll see each other at things. No, she ended it because she her. knew that it, she didn't want to be in it anymore um, and that there was no point in drawing it out just because there was still a little bit of school left. But to Nate, the end of their relationship was soul crushing. He was heartbroken and sad. And even though he too should have been getting pumped up about his future because Nate had just received a football scholarship from Trinity College in Connecticut, which had been his dream since he was a kid. But he was so devastated by the end of this relationship that he couldn't even get excited oh. about a childhood dream coming true. He was sad, became withdrawn, and he started self-medicating his depression with alcohol and marijuana. The rest of senior year flew by, and before they knew it, it was graduation day. On June 4th, Lauren and two of her best friends, Chloe and Hannah, threw a huge graduation party. 150 of their classmates were there under this big old white tent that had been erected in the yard. Oh, fun. Um, yeah, dancing and celebrating. And among those classmates was Nate Fujito. Now, fair enough, Lauren didn't want to talk to her ex-boyfriend, but Nate kept drunkenly coming up to her saying, talk to me, talk to me. And Lauren kept saying to Nate, Nate, leave me alone. Just leave me alone. Yeah. Um, eventually, she goes running to her mom, crying, telling her that Nate won't stop pestering her. He's harassing her. He's not. He won't let her dance with anybody. And so Mary Dunn asks Nate to leave the party. Visibly upset, Nate starts walking out of the tent when he suddenly punches one of the poles holding it up, causing it to collapse and sending dozens of people like scrambling over to try to hold the tent up that 150 people are under from like, what a jerk. on them. Yeah. 
Um, Nate then left the party feeling like the whole world was against him. One month later, Lauren Astley would be missing. In the weeks leading up to her disappearance, Nate's behavior changed drastically. He stopped leaving his house and seeing friends. A once active guy who was always working out and running around with pals was now spending every day at home lying on the couch looking miserable. Beth, Nate's mom, was so worried about her son that she took him to see a psychiatrist, like that his level of depression and sadness was she recognized immediately that it was not just like teenage hormones, that, that something was seriously happening with her son. She also reached out to Lauren and asked her if maybe she wouldn't mind reaching out check on Nate maybe that could like if she would just reach out mm. and see how he's doing maybe that could help um and Lauren said of course that she would that she was worried about Nate too even though she had broken up with him she still cared and she did hate that he seemed to be like suffering so so Lauren texted Nate and he didn't respond she texted him several more times and he never answered her then on July 3rd of 2011 she tried again sending him a text asking if they could talk this time, he responded with yes. She told him he, um, that she had work until 6.45, but she would come over when she got off. So late on the evening of July 3rd, with friends and family searching for Lauren, police head to Nathaniel Fujita's home after discovering that the last text she sent was saying that she was here, presumably at his home. And both Nate and his mom, Beth, tell police the, essentially the same story. Nate was home alone when Lauren stopped by around 7.00. The two spoke for about five minutes in the driveway. Uh, Lauren never even got out of the car, according to Nate. And shortly after she left, his parents returned home and the three of them watched a movie together. This seemed very credible to them because the mom was, she said they got home at like 7.45, you know? Mm. And so he had been with them in the home since about 7.45. Um, but at dawn on the morning of July 4th, a person riding their bike near um, a swampy marsh stopped at a clearing to see if they could spot a blue heron, which I guess were common or something, a bird you could spot in this part of the, um, the U.S. But instead, they saw human knees and an arm sticking up out of the water. They called police. Mm. Malcolm Astley and Mary Dunn's worst nightmare was coming true. It was their Lauren. She had been found in the marsh with her throat slit and a bungee cord tangled in her hair. So after police find her body, they immediately go back to the Fujita house to question Nate. But he's not home, and his parents don't know where he is, like he took off. So they're like, okay, well, we know now what we need to do. They obtain a search warrant for the home, and they begin looking around. And they start in the garage because they noticed a suspicious dark stain on the floor of the garage. Um, and it tests positive for blood. They also find several bungee cords, exactly like the one found in her hair, hanging on the wall. And next to the bungee cords, there was more blood spatter evidence. Then they moved to the main house, where in the basement, they found a black gym bag. And inside were a pair of sneakers that were soaking wet and caked, caked with mud. Um, the search moves into Nate's bedroom, where police discover a small crawl space hidden in the ceiling and inside they find soaking wet blood-stained clothing on july 5th after tracking nate down at his cousin's house in a nearby town he is arrested and charged with first degree premeditated murder everyone is stunned no one not her parents not their friends obviously not his parents can believe that nathaniel was capable of hurting the girl that he loved so much 
But um, sorry, Lauren's cause of death is determined to be a combination of strangulation and the knife wound to her neck. When the forensic lab results on the blood evidence come back as a match to Lauren, there is zero denying that he is the one who killed her. Police then are able to kind of put together a timeline of what happened. At 7.05 p.m., Lauren arrives at Nate's house where they head to the garage to talk. Something happens in the garage and Nate kills Lauren. He then drove Lauren's red Jeep a quarter of a mile down the road to the beach parking lot where he parked the car and dropped the keys into a storm drain. Then he jogged back to his home where he put Lauren's body in his car and drove uh, five miles to the marsh. He then carried her body 36 feet into the marsh where he attempted to conceal her body in the vegetation of the water. He then drove home. Police actually had a witness who, had, who knew Nate before all of this um, who saw him driving down the road with music blasting and he was not wearing a shirt. He got home, hid the evidence, and hopped in the shower to clean off. This all took less than an hour because Nate was really watching a movie with his parents when they returned home around 8 o'clock. Oh, my God. Um, and as authorities are learning more about how Lauren ended up in this march, they start to think that she um, she was the victim of an alarming new trend among teens and young adults. And this um, new trend is called breakup violence. It is a crime that has no zip code. This is a direct quote from the 48 Hours. Um, it's urban, suburban, and rural. A relationship ends, and what happens is an emotional surge of uncontrollable anger. It can be verbal or physical, and in the worst-case scenarios, like Lauren Astley's, it can end in death. So Mary Dunn never imagined that her daughter's first boyfriend could ever do something so horrific. She said on 48 Hours, in all our talking that we did about boys and drinking and drugs and driving and contraception, I mean, you name it, I, I had never even heard this term before, breakup violence. By all accounts, there was zero evidence of stalking or physical abuse between Nate and Lauren while they were dating or after they broke up. Like I mentioned, she reached out to him several times and he never even responded. Mm -hmm. So it's not like he was like calling her all the time. Um, I mean, he did punch when, the tent, but... He punched the tent, but basically like they hadn't spoken since then. Yeah. Whereas I feel like a lot of times in domestic violence right. situations, there's like the Travis of it all, like all up in your face, yeah. always there, pushing, 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 pushing. And there was no evidence of that mm. here. And when friends of Lauren and Nate were asked if there was ever any violence between the two, they stated matter-of-factly, absolutely not. When they asked if Lauren was ever scared of Nate, they all, again, strongly stated no. They said Scary. that if there were any, yeah, if there were any red flags, it was that Nate could be a little possessive and untrusting. He would sometimes like look through her phone, stuff like that, which is a red flag. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't be possessive and don't go through someone's phone. Just ask them what you want to know. Um, and her mother says that what, in hindsight, could have been signs of what was to come, at the time she chalked up to teenage drama. Like the fact that every time her daughter would try to break up with him, he like wouldn't accept it. Yeah, He would be like, no, we're not breaking up. We're not breaking up. Um, her best friend Chloe said, I believe he loved her. He was obsessed with her. And uh, Nathaniel's trial began on February 13th of 2013. The prosecution was going with premedita premeditated first-degree murder. 
He was angry that she broke up with him, so he had her come to his house when no one was home and he killed her. The defense argued temporary insanity, that Nathaniel was mentally ill. He had been diagnosed by that psychiatrist his mom had taken him to uh, with major clinical depression. Um, but unbeknownst to his family, Nathaniel had, be- had not been taking his meds. He refused to take them. Um, the defense argued that at the time of the murder, Nate lapsed into a temporary psychotic episode that prevented him from controlling his actions or comprehending what he was doing. The defense argued that Nathaniel wasn't criminally responsible at the time of the incident because of major mental illness. And several family members of Nate's testified that mental illness did run in their family, including schizophrenia, so that they're arguing that there it is possible that he could have had some kind of like dissociated oh. episode. But the prosecution countered that every step he took after he killed Lauren, moving her car, moving her body, trying to hide it, hiding all of the evidence, that is all proof that he was aware of his actions and he was aware that what he had done was wrong mm-hmm. and criminal. In the end, the jury deliberated for just one day before coming back with a guilty verdict. And he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. So after the guilty verdict was read, something astonishing happened. Malcolm Astley, Lauren's dad, made his way across the courtroom to Nate's parents, Beth and Tomo, and wrapped them both in his arms as they wept. He said that he understands that our kids are going to make mistakes, but it doesn't mean that you love them any less. And he knew that with this verdict, that they too were losing their child. And I just like wept oh my when God, I watched that, that part because I was like, "What? A, but what empathy? Yeah. What beautiful, beautiful empathy." Um, Nathaniel's family believes that that sentence—he was 20 years old when he was sentenced to life. Yeah. He was 18 when he committed the crime. Nathaniel's family believes the sentence was decidedly too harsh, though. In the state of Massachusetts, life in prison without parole is the mandatory sentence for anybody convicted of first-degree premeditated murder. But they believe in their hearts that mental illness is what drove him to kill Lauren. Lauren's parents miss her every day. Her bedroom is exactly as she left it. Her prom dress is in there and a couple of other things that she liked. I love to touch those. It's the closest thing I can get to touching her, Malcolm Astley said. And then uh, life was much more fun when she was in it, Lauren's mother said through tears. I miss her every day. But they also don't want their daughter's death to be in vain. So they started the Lauren Dunn Astley Memorial Fund, which was created to help educate teens about healthy relationships, which I think is amazing. Um, And Mary Dunn's advice to any young person, but to any person who's broken up with somebody, she said, if you break up with someone, Never, ever go see that person alone. Yeah. Um, And that is the truly devastating story of Lauren Astley and her high school sweetheart who couldn't accept their breakup. Um, And one of the things that I thought was interesting that the host spoke about in the podcast that I uh, listened to about this, which was, hold on, let me find it since I should give them credit, Fresh Hell. Yes was that it it does feel like he definitely wasn't temporarily insane. Right. I don't think that at all. I think, however, there is a chance, and I agreed, this is what the host thought, and I agreed, that there's a chance this wasn't premeditated because of all the times that she'd reached out being like, are you okay? Are you okay? And he didn't respond. And then when she reached out, can we talk? And he said yes, that maybe he thought that she wanted to get back together with him. And when... 
he realized that she was just there to make sure he was all right. She was definitely not getting back together with him, that he snapped and he killed her, oh, yeah. um, which would have been a less like second degree murder. Um, again, I have no, I just an idea that this host of this podcast floated and it felt like that's possible. Mm -hmm. I wonder if, if any of those options were out there, if it was temporarily insane or only first degree pre um, premeditated and not any other possibility. Um, but it just really, it, the movie Son-in-Law made me think so much about about trying so hard to get out of a relationship and doing whatever, having to stoop to like crazy yeah. antics. And so that's why I kind of went this direction with my incredibly sad. I know. Um, but I think also incredibly educational true crime. I think, you know, I just want to say it again. Uh, what the mom said is that, you know, once you break up with somebody, never go see them again alone. I think that's a great, yeah. uh, it's a great, great advice, advice because what, why like not meet them in public at a coffee shop or make sure that you've got a couple people with you. Yeah. If you do like go somewhere to meet them because why not? Mm -hmm. It's better safe than sorry. And I thought it was interesting too, because we were talking about earlier that concept of like, you know, men have feelings, right. Yeah. And emotions and, and the society we live in for so long has been teaching men like to suppress the, you know, like yeah. we don't, men don't cry, all that bullshit, bullshit yeah. that we all now know is so harmful and has created so many of the problems mm -hmm. um, in the world. And so I love that they, they made a foundation where their sole goal is to educate teenagers, but really like boys, yeah. you know, to, to know that like, everybody gets broken up with and it sucks and it's humiliating and painful, but it's also normal. Yeah. And it's something that happens to all people and it will get better. Exactly. And so to teach them that it's okay to feel their feelings and then work through them, that is how we can, by teaching boys that to, to have that ability, that's how we can stop this stuff from happening. I agree. It's just, you know, this, that tale, the story, the true crime you just talked about is like, I have things of how I want to protect my daughter and there I have things that how I want to protect and educate my son and both, you know, yeah. it, it's absolutely so sad. I mean, you know, we talk about 72 hours after a breakup for a domestic situation or the most dangerous. Yeah. And, you know, like I think we're human and we have the best intention or we assume people have the best good intentions. Yeah. So it's like, why would you ever, I'm just, I feel lucky that, you know, that didn't happen to me or well, something, you know? I, yeah, I feel like that's one of the reasons why this this story, like, really kind of hit me hard when I was doing, looking for something to do in the vein of, like, a boyfriend that just refused to accept the end of a relationship was just the fact that, you know, that there was nothing, there was no indication. And by all accounts, it's all true. He was, I mean, he wasn't, like, abusive with her yeah. you know he was a little possessive and there was some stuff in there that you know hinted at the possibility I suppose but I mean soft soft signs yeah. is how her mom put it in the documentary like it weren't like glaring red flags here and she was not afraid of him you know right. and just the just the fact that she she was worried about him because she cared God. and that and that that is why she went to see him and it just makes me so sad and so angry that you know, that there's even a term for this because it happens often enough. Yeah. Hmm. And so. That is a very interesting story. I'm looking up the, because whenever you talk, I have to like look up the images of the people and I'm seeing both of them in their, probably their senior photos and they're, they're yeah. cute 
couple and mm-hmm. it's a, just a sad, sad thing. That's so sad. Her parents, because she was an acapella singer, oh, yeah. they, they both say they take a lot of comfort. They've got tons of videos of her like singing and they watch them all the time and they showed a lot of them in the 48 Hours oh, episode. My God. And she had just an adorable little voice, super tiny, cute, just 18 year old, you know, and it's a it's a really tragic, unfair end to her story. Yeah. You know? um, not to make light of it in any way, but I have like a real uh, I re- what is it when I get really I'm annoyed. There's a certain thing that annoys me in movies always mm-hmm. um, pet peeve. I have a real pet peeve when you go back to your family home and the, the your bedroom is exactly how you left it in high school. Like it annoys me so much because it's in like every movie. But obviously in this case, it is a beautiful thing and they're kind of using it as like in a way like a memorial for her. But I was just thinking about that. Well, fine. This case is fine. This is, you know, this is a real good reason for that. But in any other movie, when you go back to your childhood home, but like, are you kidding me? My parents would never. I mean, like, I think as soon as I left, that room was like a sewing room, you know? Right. (laughs) It was like, they're They're like, like, you're gone now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm putting my treadmill in here. I'll see you later. No, no, no. Oh, I'm like, mom, where am I going to sleep? I'm just kidding. But... (laughs) Oh, Avrin, that was so good. That was, I had to recover from that one. I don't know about you guys listening, but that was, um, that definitely yeah. made me want to sob a little. Um, yeah, I cried a lot watching the, and I'm not, I mean, sometimes I get like, yeah. cry, mostly I'm like, why? Yeah. You know, or who? But this one, I was like, there was no question of why or who. It was just how. And I think you laid it out happen? beautifully in a way that um, we got to listen and feel you know, the pain of the family and the struggle and the why. So dear God, good, good stuff. Um, Guys, we have a couple more uh, Thanksgiving rom-coms to cover before this month is out. I know. I'm going to have to rack my brain all the way back to childhood to try to find more like hilarious Thanksgiving stories. I'm sure sure that we've all got so many. We've got to come with one every week. Well, we will talk to you guys next week. Um, have Have a great week and... Thanks for listening. Bye. We hope you enjoy our podcast. If you do like it, please rate, review, and subscribe to Rom Crime on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You can follow Rom Crime on all social media platforms and send us messages for things you'd like us to cover in the future. You can also email us at romcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Join us for bonus content exclusively on Patreon. We'll see you for another Rom Crime with Avern and Vanya. Produced, directed, researched, and edited by us. Till next week.